Hello and welcome to the Spirit Guide Society podcast. My name is Pedro Shanahan and I'm your spirit guide. Tonight in the Mezcal Collective at Las Perlas in downtown Los Angeles, we had Brujo Mezcal in the house with David Ruiz tasting us and educating us on the number one, the number two, the number three, the number four, and the number five. Amazing juice from the magical lands of Oaxaca. David, thank you so much for coming out tonight. Did you have a good time? Yeah, great time. Thank you so much for having me. Well said. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Wow. That was one of the better slow claps we've had at Las Perlas. Ever really, we're getting better every week. Hey guys, welcome to the Mezcal Collective. Thank you guys for coming out tonight. Yeah, yeah. That's right, that's right. We're getting into it tonight. We have some beautiful, beautiful mezcal to taste and educate you on. And we have Mr. David Ruiz in the house from Brujo Mezcal. Am I pronouncing that right? Because I'm, yeah. I'm legendarily terrible at pronouncing things. Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. Brujo. 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 Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the brand. How long have you guys been on the market now? And how did the whole story start for you? How did you discover this mezcal? Yeah, so the brand itself um, kind of interestingly was always like a, a Mexican-facing brand, meaning a lot of you know current brands kind of come to the U.S. and come come to California or kind of face the U.S. market um, initially. This was a brand that came to the U.S. in 2014, but was really focused on the Mexican market until recently. So this is something that is still a very small brand. It's still very low visibility um, in terms of um, general market, like something that you probably still don't see everywhere. People, you know, will recognize one bottling. Maybe you've had one and you don't see it everywhere. You can't try it everywhere. So it's still like kind of a low-lying fruit in that regard. But a really, uh, a really beautiful, humble um, spirit and with some really nice expressions. So where are you guys have different editions? I noticed you've got like number two, number three, number four, number five. Now, those are not age statements. Those are just different limited releases or just batches yeah. essentially. Yeah. Good question. So. We have five bottlings, um, actually technically six bottlings now in the U.S. Um, today we are going to taste two through five. Number one was in the punch. Yeah, number one was in the punch. So one, one through five um, is our kind of core line. So the kind of purpose behind the numbers and the colors corresponding on the labels were uh, each bottling, different varietal, different palenque, different village. Um, so it's, it's kind of, I think it really, in, originally it was an off, uh, off premise play, um, where to get that recognition, like, oh, I remember like that blue barrel or sorry, the blue, blue label, which was like a barrel and people would associate the color with the profile that they liked. Um, but it's really nothing more than, um, a designation for, the, the specific varietals. Okay, so the, the mezcal that went into the punch, the Brujo number one, is what's the name of that palenque? Where is it located? Who's the master mezcalero? Tell us about that first one. Yeah, so the, the Brujo one was kind of our flagship uh, mezcal. It's from San Dionisio, uh, which if you're familiar and you guys, you know, part, as part of this collective, you probably know um, a general lay of the land. If not, it's a... 
a little town uh, near Chichicapa, which is where Delmagay produces one of their kind of uh, legendary bottlings. Um, That's right. It's we not, love the not, Yeah, it's not super far um, from um, Matadlan. So, like, kind of as the crow flies, maybe an hour or so outside of Oaxaca City. So, as as the grand scheme goes, you know, with with production areas fairly close, which really means not that much, but fairly close to the city. Um, not a ton of palenques there. Um, Oaxaca, the brand Oaxaca has a palenque nearby, and also Mero Mero is doing some production down there. But pretty dry, pretty arid climate, not very high in elevation. Um, yeah, and who's the master mescalero there, and at that little palenque? Yeah, so that's uh, the Morales family. Um, his name is Lucio Morales. His son actually works with him now, um, so he's third generation. Um, he only produces for us right now, um, the number one producer, um, and this is our only continuously produced um, bottling, and with, is, with few exceptions. Is this the the number one? Was that is that Espadine and what else? Is it an ensemble or so? What is yeah, it? so this this not, is not this, the number one. But the one so the number the yeah, the number one is hundred percent Espadine bottling. Um, so it's it's again our like kind of flagship and something that I always tell people and something that I when I'm out to and and tasting things and I always kind of make a note of when you see a portfolio or multiple bottlings by a brand I feel like the Espadine bottling or kind of like that baseline bottling is always a really strong indicator whether or not the producers of the other expressions are producing at that palenque it's always a very strong uh, indicator of in my opinion the quality of the rest of the portfolio, quality of the offering. So that particular Espadine, very, very viscous, like a lot of salt and pepper, like raw agave flavors. And it's like one of my favorites across the board. And what are you able to, when you, when you guys are doing your little, your batches, so to speak, how many bottles are coming out per batch? Because I know some of these plinkas are very, very small in their sure. production. They maybe are only making 300 bottles at a time or 500 yeah. bottles at a time. Yeah, so that particular palenque with the Espadine is, is one of our higher volume palenques. But, I mean, the, the bottling can range anywhere from, you know, several hundred liters to a thousand liters, depending on the time of year, depending on the... There's several different production areas, different size pits for cooking. So depending on the temperature and the time of year and how much agave is available, the production can kind of flux. So, but in, in the grand scheme of things, still very small production. Wide on. So, but that is not what we have in our glasses in front of us. Oh, he's already done. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. You can't handle it. Can't handle it. I know. It's very, it's very tempting. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, what is this first expression that Stephanie yeah. and Bebino just passed around? So, this, the first guy that you got here, this is, this is an interesting, um, an interesting bottling. So, this now moving from one to number two. Um, this is this is our first ensemble. It, it's a blend of Espadine and Baril. Baril is a different varietal. It's part of the Karwinski family. Um, so this is this is interesting because it's a post-distillation pachuga, but not protein-based. So we. I'm just looking at the label because I'm seeing if this is old. So a we, vegan we, so we, pachuga kind, kind of, of vibe? So we, like, this has always been kind of a conflict, and this is like a topic that people like to talk about. On the ground in Oaxaca, there's like a different interpretation. In the States, I think because of the popularity of Del Maguey pachuga, which was like 
a protein pechuga, meaning that there was a, um, a protein element hung in the still during distillation. This is um, rather a pechuga de maguey, meaning like literally a pechuga um, made from some of the agave piña. So post-distillation, some of the roasted piñas are reintroduced into the, into the liquid. And they're allowed, to, they're allowed to sit for up to like 10 to 15 days. So you get this really soft, like kind of almost, I mean, it doesn't see wood. So you get this kind of straw hue, you get this like residual sugar, and then that small barrel component kind of adds, com adds complexity. So this is a really cool expression in a way that it mixes well in spirit-driven drinks, it subs in well for gin, it's slightly sweeter on the palate. So are you putting herbs and spices in there as well as no, the... No, so uh, it's just, yeah, just, just some of the piñas from, from the actual pit are reintroduced back into the liquid. Interesting. I've never yeah. heard of that method before. Yeah, it's, so just to explain what a pachuga is, if you're a total beginner... A pachuga often is, is kind of like a festival mezcal yeah. where they're basically – some people think of it as um, making an offering to the gods, so to speak. So you're kind of giving a meal to the spirits in the still. Sometimes they'll – you know, Oaxaca is really well known for its, its moles, which is typical uh, festival food. For a special occasion, you might, you know, slaughter your only turkey and feed the whole family and friends with uh, – Mole de pavo, you know? So sometimes they will use those same kind of spice mixes and put them into the still on the third distillation as an offering. They're not going to eat that meat, but it's, it's as an offering to the agave spirits. Um, and very much that'll be kind of the special occasion mezcal. In the same way that in the rum world, spiced rums kind of come along with that same kind of... They're popular around Carnival or around a holiday time um, doing these kind of flavored spirits as something special for, you know, certain occasions. But that's what this is. But it's a yeah, little bit different. A little bit different. And you can also think of it as, and again, like, like you said, like a celebration mezcal, which, you know, I always try to give the examples. Like if you're f familiar with Vago, they have the Elote or Oaxaca, again, to bring them up. They do an heirloom apple. Um, so there are these other celebration mezcals that tend that kind of get pushed into that pachuga realm and kind of end up in this misunderstood area. So interesting and totally different profile because of it and, and, and very like kind of All right, well, mixable and great. Yeah. Let's get into it. So this is a place where you can get a deeper understanding of your own palate here. So stick your nose in that glass, breathe in gently through your mouth. What are you reminded of as you... Smell this Brujo number two, a vegan pachuga style mezcal. What do you guys think? Tap some over your tongue. What do you smell? Just on the nose. I, I smell like petrichor, like wet earth. It's got a really intense minerality going on here. What are you guys getting? Come on. I get like some straw, like some, some, some like residual sugars that, you know, are kind of hard, harder to identify. Yeah, I'm getting some like gravel and ash even like an intense minerality on the nose so now tap some over your tongue and see how that experience changes what are the two varietals that are in this bottle here so this is espadine and barrio, typically 80 percent and 20 percent barrio yeah so to understand that the espadine is is kind of the ancestral mother of the blue weber agave it's low to the ground big spiky fronds 
can, they can be very large. They can mature in five to eight years. Um, but that's kind of like the, the sustainable wild mezcal. The burrito is totally different. It looks more like a tree. It's got like a trunk that's very super fibrous and then it's spiky agave looking thing on top of that trunk. And that imparts a very different flavor. You're, you're, you're cutting all those fronds off. You're roasting those piñas in, in, in most cases, an earthen oven, right? Is that number yes. two, is it made in uh, roasted, in, the piñas are roasted in an earthen oven? Yeah. So all, all, all of our bottlings are Tohono drawn, mashed, open air fermentation, natural fermentation, and pit roasted. Interesting. Yep. So, but the different shapes and sizes of these agaves have a lot to do with the flavor profile. And then, of course, what kind of wood is being roasted, what kind of wild yeast strains are used to ferment it. All those things come into play and create the, the flavor profile in the final distillate here. Definitely. So, what do you guys think of this Brujo number two? Yeah, right? Yeah, you've had it. I feel like this, the more I travel, I feel like this is something, this is an expression that people are, are familiar with or maybe see. It's, it, it's dynamic. It mixes well, and it's also kind of a, a nice bridge um, for people who, who, who don't want maybe necessarily something that reads very hot on the palate. This is like a nice kind of, almost a bridge between like a profile of like an aged tequila and a mezcal. Yeah. Even I get, though this sees no wood. I get some not kind of coffee also. notes on totally. the finish, a little yeah. coffee and chocolate. It's really nice. It's like a reposado mezcal totally. in yeah, a way. In a way. Yeah, absolutely. So by putting those roasted piñas back into the finished distillate, you're getting some of those caramelized sugars of the piña itself. That smokiness is going to give it a certain flavor character, but also that little bit of pale color that you see in this Mezcal. Okay, so Stephanie just came around with Brujo number three. Okay, so now tell us what this number three, what are, what are the varietals, where yeah. is this Palenque located? Yeah. So this is the Brujo number three as we make our way up the line. This is my one of my personal favorites. It always has been. This is 100% barrel bottling. So the number two you just tried had, a, had just a portion of barrel. This is 100% barrel. It's a Karwinski, like we said before. Um, so this, the, the profile of this particular barrel is like very mineral heavy, um, a lot of salinity, a lot of stone and slate. And those flavors aren't necessarily um, particular to this varietal, but they are particular to this area and this palenque. So high salt, stone, wet rock, um, just a really awesome expression of barrel. And where is this Palenque located? So this is from San Augustine. Okay. So it's a kind of almost as we go down the list here, coming from Brujo 1, everything's kind of south towards the coastline, I suppose. It zigzags a touch, but this is a, a tad further south of, of Matadlan. So a touch further down. And so. who's the master mescalero for number three? So we, for this particular batch, is uh, Candido Reyes, who also produces the Tobala, which we'll taste at the end. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. So what do you guys think? Let's get into this number three, made from barril, again, like yeah. a much fibrous, uh, more tree-like form of agave. Yeah. Stick your nose so, in that glass, breathe in gently through your mouth, share your experience. 
Tell yeah. me, is it, does it remind you of a color or a, a place or a food? What does it remind you of? Licorice. Like some anise, kind of. And a, a cool thing about, about the barrel is that, um, like he was saying, that particular varietal is, is one of the only, well, not one of the only, but one of the few varietals that actually grows more of a trunk, so sits above the earth. Um, and it was something that a lot of people used to make natural fence lines in their properties. Um, so it's kind of an interesting, whereas most other varietals are coming directly out of the ground, this is something that is going to kind of live on a stalk or a trunk, almost like similar to this kind of um, little tabletop. So, Yeah. They, they do, yeah. I think a, lo a lot of people produce differently. Some people shave it down. Some people cut it. You know, you, you see different lengths go in, and everybody has their own kind of formula or what have you, which is usually something that's been passed down for generations and obviously affects the end profile, taste profile. So... I've seen it. I've seen. I've seen it done um, in other palenques with with a much longer trunk, and I've seen it with almost none. So, I, but I think it also depends on the size of the actual piña and and kind of what you're trying to yield. Um, for sure, and it's you know if it's if it has fermentable sugars in it, they're yeah, going to try to yeah. go for those sugars. They're going to try to make something that'll make booze. If they think it's it's mature enough. That there's going to be fermentable sugars, they'll they'll try it. Yeah. They'll, you know, it's it's something that's been passed down through generations, and that a lot of experimentation goes on. You know, yeah. so they've tried a lot of different methods for sure. Yeah. What do you guys think of this uh, barrio here? I'm getting like like a plum, and also like maybe like a smoked jalapeno, a little like of a chipotle yeah. kind of vibe on top of this like yeah, dark red fruit. Yeah, and something to to that point too, like in regards to how much of the plant people are using in, in different circumstances. The, like he said, you, you want to yield as much juice as you can. So depending on who's producing, I think the, the more the plant that you can use, you know, the more, the more juice you're going to yield, the more products you're going to be able to produce. But. Wow, I am totally surprised because it's got such an intense minerality on the nose, but it's really, really fruity and floral on the tongue. I get yeah. like cherry blossoms or something it's like really floral thank you stephanie what are you guys getting off of that burrito yeah it's good. good can the burrito be farmed he wants to know is this yeah good good question um so typically with burrito burrito is a good example of a wild or semi-wild um varietal which can be cultivated um, or allowed to blossom and seed and naturally propagate. So in our case, I think almost all of the time it's semi-wild, meaning that we have properties where certain plants are allowed to mature, at which point they drop seeds, at, at which point they die, but they produce offspring. But you can cultivate barrio meaning you can clone them, essentially. So bo both, you can do both. And that's, that's something that we're starting, as we learn more about the mezcal world, a lot of times people tell you that like, you can only find these in the wild, but what we're starting to understand is that some of these um, producers who've been working for a while are now really getting into trying to farm it. They have uh, farms for just doing starts. That being said, when you're talking about a plant that has never been farmed before, 
it's going to be hard to get them to take in the wild. Um, I mean, a lot of times it's, it's so dry and arid, and these are not plants that are normally watered or caretaken in that way. So you might lose a lot of your starts. The actual success rate might not be that high, but it's something that people are definitely putting a lot of energy in to try to make these rarer varietals more sustainable, for definitely. sure. And there, there are a lot of nurseries now. Almost, I mean, any brand with, with a forward-thinking um, mindset is now you know, propagating what, what at some point were only wild varietals. So, for example, a Tobala, a Baril, uh, a Tepestate, these are now all being farmed with, the, with two hopes. One, you know, down the line you have these plants in more abundance, you can produce product, especially for uh, varietals that are taking 10 to 15 years. And two, you create this diversity and allow some of them to naturally propagate, which um, creates some protection against like an omniculture, um, which is very susceptible to disease. So Interesting. multi-tiered. So thing. on the first two marks, the number two and the number three, if I was going to pick up a bottle from my home bar, how much is that going to run me in my local liquor store? Yeah, so at a liquor store, you're looking at about 45 55 Wow. Which, again, very approachable, especially the Barrio, I, I think, has always been not underpriced, but very approachable. Again, super, super humble bottlings, and, and that's just kind of... We've always been in a very friendly price range. Now, how if you're if you're selling it for that cheap, how much like for the actual producers, the the Reyes family in this case, how much? I mean, if they're only doing like a, a batch of seven hundred bottles or a thousand bottles, how much can they get for a bottle? Because um, we're you guys are selling it for fifty five bucks, but like going all the way back down the chain to the guys who are harvesting it and making it, how much can they get for a bottle? Yes, yeah, so the, the production cost is fixed. We, we always make sure that the product is paid for. So whether, whether we sell it or not, we have contracts with each palenque. We always buy it uh, at, a, at a fixed price. Um, and that price you know, can fluctuate, but is always um, market price, I suppose, depending on the fluctuation and cost of agave. Um, which it's, has been really which, which, yeah, so going up and down a totally. lot. Totally. But a, a lot of these producers, with the exception of number one, um, have exclusive contracts with Brujo and aren't producing a ton of mezcal. So we basically assure them that we will buy all of their, all of their product, um, whether it's a slow month, a good month, maybe the batch tastes a little off, et cetera, et cetera, on and on. So we make sure that we pay them the appropriate price and that everything is, you know, on the up. And do the batches tend to vary in terms of flavor profile a little bit? They can. They can, for sure. I mean, again, depending on weather and, and when you get into these varietals that, that are in the ground a little longer, so things that take, take longer to mature, obviously if it's an agricultural product, um, the batches can vary, for sure. Right on. So Stephanie's come around now with the third mark. This is Brujo number four, is that right, Step? Oh, so what, is this number five, though? Number four. This is number four, yeah. okay. Oh, okay. So Brujo number four, you should have it. What is this one made so from here? Brujo number four is our second ensemble, or blend. Um, 
a super different profile. It's very interesting. I always kind of bop back and forth between the four and the three as my favorites. Um, this is from Las Salinas, which is again a little bit farther, a little bit farther south, and much more remote. Uh, from all of these four producers for these five bottlings, this Palenque is by far the most removed. I mean, very, very arid, high altitude, not a lot of water, um, very, 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 very removed. Um, so this is a three-way a three blend of Espadín, uh, Quiche, and Barrio. So that third varietal, the Quiche, is another um, Karwinski varietal which carries, um, in my opinion, and typically, tr more tropical notes. Um, and this is what we call a field blend, meaning that um, the actual blend is made uh, in the pit. So the piñas are all roasted together. Um, as opposed to, which I haven't seen a, a lot, but I've heard of um, post-distillation blends, meaning... Everything goes through the still, and the and the liquids are blended. After so this the is fact. after the fact, yeah. Okay. So what is this uh, this third mark here? Fourth. This is the fourth mark. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the ensemble, the number four. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So stick your nose in that glass, breathe in gently through your mouth. What are you guys getting as you smell this one here? The Brujo number four. Yeah. And to that point too, with with the varietals, is like, if you if you were to visit Oaxaca. And on the ground, you would see a lot more, you know, kind of um, rogue bottlings, like different types, different hybrid types under different names and, and different specifications. And that's just in the state of Oaxaca, like not to mention, you know, Guerrero, Durango, outside of Oaxaca. So I think yeah. the, the spectrum is, is huge. And I think in the States, we only really see maybe 20... Varietals, well, there's, there's maybe. Closer to 30 now, I yeah, think, okay. on our shelves. Sure. But what are you guys getting as you tap this over your tongue? The Brujo number four, Mezcal. Coconut? Beets and green papaya skins. That's great. Oh, yeah, it's got a great minerality as well. Mm. I'm getting a little bit of like mint chocolate chip ice cream, but with something else going on in the finish, like something spicy, like. Yep peppery on the finish. So it's a three-way blend. It's Espadín, Barril, and Quiche. And yeah. did you tell us where, where it's being made? What's the name of this? this? Las, Las Salinas. Las Salinas. And who's the master mescalero there? So this, this, one can, this one bounces around between our number five producer, uh, so Candido Reyes, and, and one of his sons. So there can, be two, there can be two palenques where this can be coming from. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow, this one's really beautiful. It's really, really... What do you guys think of this number four here? The it's pretty viscous, life. yeah. And how much is that going to run me in my local liquor That's store? That's going to run you probably closer, a little bit above 70. Mid-70, mid depending on where you're going. Yeah. Beautiful stuff. Yeah. Beautiful stuff. So Stephanie's coming around with our final mark of the evening. Uh, what is this one going to be, David? So, yeah, this this final bottling is, is pretty special and... Um, I always, I always kind of introduce it as like a throwback Tobala. So this is a, this is a Tobala, um, which is the name of the varietal. And this particular uh, plant is typically very small, um, typically wild, typically a little bit harder to, um, to reach. Um, so smaller plant means smaller yield. Um, so you need a, a lot more of it to produce 
you know, depending on your production levels. And you typically carries like some really green, funky, kind of scotch, scotch-like tastes, um, in my opinion. And this particular bottling is like, is very viscous, it's very thick, um, a lot of spearmint, a lot of oil. Very this, cool. This is the Morales or is this Reyes? No, this is Reyes. This is Candido. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So stick your nose in this glass. Is this 100% Tobala? 100% Tobala. So a lot of people like this. This might be your favorite mark. Some people like worship the Tobala yeah. varietal as being their absolute sure. favorite kind. But everybody's palate's different. So stick your nose in that glass. Breathe in gently through your mouth. What are you yeah. reminded of as you smell this Brujo number five? Number five. The Tobala. And also, the, the Tobala was the first um, varietal and bottling, I think, that came to market that carried a really high price point, you know, back in 2014 or what right. have you. And since then, th there are some other varietals that, that are harder to harvest or take longer to mature that have kind of exceeded them in price, depending on wh what you're buying. So I feel like this was like the original king in that regards, and it... I think has the most distinct profile as far as being able to distinguish among other varietals if you're doing a blind tasting. It's well, what are you guys getting off the Tobala? So very, very different from any of the other varietals we've tasted so far tonight. What do you guys smell or taste as you experience this Brujo number five? Caramel. So that goes back to kind of the, the scotch notes that he was describing. Uh -huh. But often the Tobala's got a very verdant and green kind of thing going on. What are you guys getting? Smoky? Yeah. All right, all right. Yeah, smaller yeah. agave, so yeah. maybe it takes on more of that smoke. Yeah, so they can be small. They can be small, typically volleyball size, but again, I do this a lot because there are certain areas like Sola de Vega where they're known for, for growing very large tobalas but have very dry profiles. Wow. So the, I mean, tend to be smaller, sure. I mean, it's a generalization, but yes, so smaller. So if you, you imagine like... You're trying to yield, you know, this juice from a smaller plant. You need many more, you know, to do so. So harder to harvest, typically wild, typically a little bit harder to get to, uh, like to grow in between rocks and like on hillsides. So a little bit, a little bit more precarious. Yes, yeah, so she's known as the queen of the Good. agaves and she likes to be alone. They like, uh, she tends to grow up by herself and yeah. be very, very hard to find. What do you guys think of that Tobala? Amazing, right? And this is another varietal, too, that more commonly until recently was always wild. And to his point, you know, he's asking, is this a 100% Tobala bottling? Which is a very fair question because a lot... I don't know why, particularly with Tobala, there are producers um, who, who might put maybe some espadine to lengthen... This, this, this varietal that can be sold maybe for slightly, slightly more. But also, this is a varietal now that a lot of people are cultivating, which wasn't thought to be so common in the past. So interesting, like, interesting note. Right on. Because traditionally, these are, these are single village palinques that it, they weren't trying to sell to the Americans. They were just trying to make their traditional mezcal for the people in their village. They had no ambition to like do anything but make their neighbors and their family and their friends happy, you know? And now it's like all ramped up. It's like people are gonna go for that money. They're gonna, they see the opportunity, but 
they have to really be careful because something like a Tobala can take 15 years to come to maturity, sometimes much longer. The Tepestate, the Aracanos, a lot of these can, they take two decades to come to full maturity. So you have to be very careful about the way you use them if you want to see them be around. And you're gonna see in the next five years, some varietals will become very, very rare because of over-harvesting and because people not creating mezcal in a sustainable way. And there are programs that, you know, there are people who are, who are trying to educate some of the, I mean, imagine, you know, being a farmer and having this agricultural product that maybe takes two decades to mature. Maybe you're 60 years old and you have no money. That to have the foresight to, if someone tells you, I need you to let these plants grow and you can't make any money from them, but maybe your kids may, you know, you may not be looking down the road in that way. So there, there are people who are, are trying to educate or not educate, but pass information um, and, and, and almost kind of set an example and, and encourage farmers to allow a certain percentage of their crop, if you will, to bloom to the extent where the seeds can naturally propagate, which, I mean, is, is starting to become a little, little more common with tequila because these fields are much more vast. Um, but, again, to, to, to be able to have that forward thinking, um, if you are a small producer and you need to support your family and, and whatnot, is, is difficult. But this is something, this is why the Mezcal Collective exists, is so that we can become smarter consumers. We can ask the, the right kind of questions like, what are the producers actually getting paid? What are they producing sustainably? You know, is it equitable? Is it a truly a fair trade situation? And is it something that in the long run will be something that they can keep doing? Or is this just going to be kind of make our money and then leave those folks behind? You know what I mean? That's what we want to get better at, right? Right on. Well, David, thank you so much. Does anyone yep. have any other questions for David Ruiz from Brujo Mezcals? Let's give it up. Thanks for coming thank out. Yeah, thank That's you so great, much. Thank man. You. Some great information thank for you. sure. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like what you heard, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review. The Spirit Guide Society is a Spirit Adventures production in association with Bitten from the Apple Productions. Special thanks to Tone Mesa for their post-production and audio services. The show is produced by Andrew Apple and me, Pedro Shanahan. Executive producer, Andrew Abrahamson. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Spirit Guide SOC. We'll be there to answer any questions you have, share what we're drinking, and more. And if you're still thirsty, you can always find more episodes of the show wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to always drink responsibly. That means don't drink to forget, drink to remember. 